Today we have Nick Bryant, who was a trailblazer when it came to reporting and writing about the Franklin scandal. If you've not heard of that scandal, I wrote about it in one of my books. There was a chapter and there are huge parallels with the Epstein case. We've got the mechanics are very similar and even some of the players involved in the cover-up side are the same. So I've been a huge fan of Nick's work for years. We've just touched base this week and he's agreed to do this interview. It's a real privilege to have him on. He's also got a call for action, a petition, which we're going to be talking about during the interview as well so that you guys can, the link will be in the description box below the, the video if you guys want to sign on to that and help him in his cause. So Nick, for people who are not familiar with you, are you all right to just to introduce yourself and say a little bit about you, please? Hi, everybody. My name is uh, Nick Bryant, and uh, I'm a writer, and I've specialized in my career has gone through various incarnations, but in the my earlier days, I specialized in child welfare in America, and um, and then that, that ultimately led me, I became a, a freelance journalist, and then I was doing some background research on an article that I was going to write for a mainstream magazine, and I came across a, a very shocking document uh, about by the uh, U.S. Customs about the, a group called the Finders, or a cult called the Finders. And that document just kind of, I just, it just hit me, whoa. And um, because they were involved in child trafficking and they, they had been let, let go scot-free. So I started to look into child trafficking that was protected in major pedophile networks. And I found one in Nebraska that there was a tremendous amount of documentation for that. Um, I was fortunate enough to get the sealed grand jury documentation and exhibits, uh, testimony, and uh, this grand jury testimony and exhibits enabled me basically to write the book. And I showed that kids were being trafficked from coast to coast. And a lot of them ended up in Washington, D.C., where there was a house wired for audiovisual blackmail, much like Epstein's. And I wrote... and. And with the documentation, there was a list of 60 victims. And according to state and federal authorities, this pedophile network never even existed. I mean, and we can get into the cover-up of that a little later, but it was, it's very similar to the, uh, to the Epstein cover-up. But this network was, was big. It was, it was bigger than Epstein's. And actually, Epstein took one grand jury to cover up. This network was so large, it took three grand juries to cover up. So I ended up with these sealed documents and exhibits, and I had a list of 60 victims. And then at that point, it was up to me to, to find those victims. And a lot of them didn't really, they were difficult to find because a lot of them really didn't use their social security numbers. Um, they had come from dysfunctional backgrounds, uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, and they ultimately hooked up with this large network and they were pandered to the rich and the powerful. And the reward, the carrot was money and drugs. So a number of these kids ended up as drug addicts and when they lost their youthful marketability, they were just expunged by this network. 
and they ended up as drug addicts and very marginal. And I spent time, and I knew that I had to uh, find a critical mass of these victims because it was it was kind of like Horton here's a who. I, I had to collect a lot of who's and um, and I found them in projects. I found them in homeless shelters. Uh, I found one in a prison. Um, so, and and the tragedy of this is these as 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 young adults, they were just so tragically violated um, that they went on to compromise their own integrity, which is and that card was played against Epstein's victims too by Alan Dershowitz. He tried to sully uh, the victims that were coming forward. And that's something that the church has been doing, uh, Boy Scouts have been doing, organizations have been doing that forever. Um, not attack the messenger, but <laughs> attack the victim. And a lot of these victims, it's it's very sad. I mean, they're, uh, their self-esteem was shredded at a ver very young age. And, it, and it's really hard for them to stick up for themselves. And to see these Epstein victims coming forward, there's 30 some Epstein victims that have come forward and there's been, um, and, and they've initiated uh, civil lawsuits. But there's a lot more Epstein victims that are out there. I mean, Epstein went through kids very, very quickly. And so I, I think that the people that were involved with Epstein, the power brokers, some of these kids uh, or young adults now are just terrified to speak out because of who they were molested by. Virginia Guffrey is, uh, she's very, uh, she's been very forthcoming. And when her deposition was ultimately released, she, um, through, uh, because of a court order, um, she named a former Senator, George Mitchell. Um, she, talked about a uh, prime minister, um, and she talked about uh, Bill Richardson, who was the governor of uh, New Mexico when Jeffrey Epstein um, had a, a mansion in New Mexico and, and, a, and, and a flight, uh, a landing pad, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And what's interesting about the New Mexico uh, nexus is that Jeffrey Epstein had to register as a sex offender because of his 2008 uh, sweetheart deal. So he had he registered in um, New York and he registered in Florida, but he didn't have to register in New Mexico where his buddy, uh, Bill Richardson, was the governor. Well, you put a point in there that I'd really like to expand on. I think it's very important. And we've seen this play out in the UK as well in people who've been preyed on in care homes. So during the Franklin scandal, at the end of it, the people who went to prison were the victims and the predators almost have a foolproof system. They abuse these kids, they get them on drugs and into criminality. And then once they are criminalized, how on earth, as adults, is anyone going to believe them in a court of law when they're pointing their fingers at these important people? Who's going to be, believe a felon who's got you know, all these charges against them versus an important person in society? They just don't stand a chance. Could you expand on that a bit, Nick? 
Well, that, that system, for lack of a better word, is nearly perfect because these kids come in and they're not, these kids are not, do not come from families that are the paragon of stability. These kids are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, dysfunctional backgrounds. Um, and then, as I said earlier, they're turned on to drugs and given money. And, um, and once they lose their youthful marketability, they're, they're expunged by the network. And then, so ultimately you end up with a, a very damaged young adult or teenager, and they do not, they do not know how to navigate life. Um, they've been so, uh, repeated molestations just mutilate a person psychologically. I mean, one molestation can, mutil can mutilate a per person psychologically, but these victims with the Franklin scandal, they were so, a lot of them just were, uh, psychologically uh, mutilated. And a lot of them came from Boys Town, which is a very august, uh, maybe the, even the most famous or uh, orphanage in the world. And these kids that came from Boys Town, I mean, um, that network was plundering Boys Town for these kids. And these kids turned out to be like perfect, what I said, from lower socioeconomic, uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds and also very dysfunctional backgrounds. A number of the kids from Boys Town said that they were trafficked by Larry King. And I found kids that said that they were trafficked by Larry King or victims that said that they were trafficked by Larry King because of that uh, sealed grand jury documentation. And ultimately, th that network, like I said, was so big and so it was much bigger than Jeffrey Epstein's network. Um, Epstein trafficked children for uh, about 30 years. This network was in existence for about 12 years. And I don't know if your uh, listeners really understand what a grand jury is, but a grand, grand juries are, are notorious for covering up crimes. And when someone hears a grand jury, they think that the gods of jurisprudence have acted. Um, but that's not the case with a grand jury. Grand jurors are just ordinary citizens who've shown up for court duty. And, and instead of like uh, going into like a regular courtroom, they've been channeled to a grand jury. And one person is chosen to show them the evidence called a special prosecutor. So whatever a special prosecutor shows these grand, I mean, these grand jurors are completely dependent upon what the special prosecutor is showing them. And in the case of the Franklin scandal, um, there were three very corrupt grand jurors because there were three very corrupt um, special prosecutors. And that goal was to say that there was absolutely no child abuse. I mean, that's what uh, state and federal investigations, but there were kids, and this is amazing to me because the FBI came down on these kids really, really hard. Much Maria Farmer has described how the FBI had come down on her. Well, these kids got it a lot worse because this network, network was a lot bigger. So I, I believe that that's the case. So three grand juries, I mean, very corrupt grand juries have said that there was no child abuse involved in the Franklin scandal, which is very horrific, but that's how these things have to be protected. Um, the Franklin scandal, like Epstein, uh, also included blackmail and and it went to the 
it went to Mount Olympus, uh, the perpetrators, much, much like uh, Epstein. So the Franklin Scandal Network and also the Epstein uh, Network had to be covered up at, at all costs. Uh, because if Americans realized that our leaders are molesting children and they're also being blackmailed um, by intelligence entities within our, our government, I mean, Americans would hit the streets, but it's, it's kind of funny. No, when the Epstein scandal was happening or, or when it was being reported on, um, there were all kinds of news services digging up salacious dirt. It seems like they just wanted to dig up salacious dirt. And, um, and finally, I, I wrote an article. I, I was just kind of stunned that these newspapers and media outlets we're not really going after the perpetrators and the procurers. Um, the New York Times, this is kind of interesting, the New York Times named six procurers and perpetrators uh, in the Epstein network and nothing has happened to them. I mean, they've, they've skated scot-free and we, we, have to, we have to change that. And that's what my petition is about. Um, but it's, it's kind of mind boggling that the New York Times would name six procurers and, and none of them, and they even, some of them even confessed to facilitating trafficking with Jeffrey Epstein. And they weren't indicted, which is, I mean, to me, that's kind of mind boggling. I mean, that would be like the New York Times uh, reporting on six John Gotti associates and how they fit into his uh, criminality and the, the government not doing anything about it. So, which, which would be ludicrous. I mean, if the New York Times named six Gotti cohorts and delineated how they went, fit into this crime network, I mean, they would be indicted within a week. So that's where uh, things stand now. It's, and I've written an article that really does demonstrate that there is an ongoing cover-up with the Epstein network. And, that, and it's, I mean, it's meticulously sourced. And Unfortunately, uh, most mainstream magazines have rejected it. M mainstream magazines, just in general, have rejected my work on uh, child trafficking. It's 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 very sad to me that um, that these editors are willing to turn their backs on children, and they must not think they have culpability at that point. Um, but they, they've had the ability. I started to pitch an Epstein story in 2012 and no one would touch it. Like the Franklin Network, I started pitching that in 2004 and uh, no one would touch it. So our media is really, really uh, problematic right now. And my Miami Herald did some great work. I mean, most of that information was already floating around, but they did some great work calling it together. But now they're not calling for um, the indictment of the procurers and the perpetrators. It's, it's like a Maginot line. Um, it stops with Ghislaine Maxwell. And that's what we have to do is we have to push our government so these perpetrators and procurers um, get investigated and get indicted. We cannot, as a society, uh, let these uh, perpetrators molest children with impunity. Um, if the Justice Department is indifferent to victims in a proven trafficking case, um, I mean, what chance do other victims have? And if the Justice Department is protecting 
uh, perps in this case, all perps are empowered. So this really needs to be addressed. And the link to the petition is in the description box below this video if you want to click down there and sign that, please. Now, you've raised quite a lot there. So um, there is a saying in America that a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. They'll basically do anything that the prosecutor says. You mentioned Larry King. Some people may be thinking of the TV presenter. Could you tell us who Larry King is, who the principals are in the Franklin scandal? And could you break the whole Franklin scandal down for us, please? Sure, I can do that. Um, the Franklin scandal was, as I said earlier, it was a coast to coast pedophile network that trafficked scores and scores of children. Um, and it also produced, that network also produced child pornography, which I haven't really seen in Epstein's network as of yet. I think because there is an invest, the investigation into uh, Epstein's network has been bogus. Um, but if there was a real investigation, like Maria Farmer had mentioned some stuff that just hasn't come out yet. So if she's telling the truth, then we, we still have a lot to learn about the Jeffrey Epstein network. But in the Franklin network, uh, its, its base was Omaha, Nebraska, and also Washington, D.C. And it was run by Lawrence E. King, who was a Republican power broker. He was an African-American Republican power broker. And he ran an organ, uh, 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 credit union called the Franklin Credit Union. And he used the credit union as his personal ATM. Uh, he ultimately looted it for $40 million. And then on the other side of the country in Washington, D.C., there was Craig Spence, who was a quote-unquote lobbyist. And I think he really is very cl close. I mean, what Epstein did and what Craig Spence did are, are very, very close, I think. Because Craig Spence, he had, uh, if you had Craig Spence's black book, like I have Jeffrey Epstein's black book, um, like, uh, the connections would go to Mount Olympus for sure. But, and he also, and his home was also wired for audiovisual blackmail. Maria Farmer talked about going, Epstein taking her behind a secret panel and then she saw quote unquote men um, sitting before monitors. That was the exact same setup with the Craig Spence. He had a, a fake door behind a uh, closet and, and, and in this like, or secret room, there was uh, a bunch of monitors stacked on top of each other. So he would, he could look in at, at everything his guests were doing. And, and he was able to compromise a lot of uh, powerful people because after all, you can't really, um, if you've got a picture of someone molesting a child, um, you're owned. And actually, if you're a Republican and you have, and there's a picture of you just having homosexual sex, you're that, I mean, that's it. And, and there's no real, there's no real uh, incentive for people to come out and say, I've been blackmailed. Um, it would reduce their lives to just, it would ignominiously reduce their lives. Um, they would certainly lose their uh, standing in politics. It would probably destroy their uh, family. And, 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 it, and then they would be disgraced. So there's once, I mean, 
Jager Hoover was a blackmail artist and no one said I'm being blackmailed by Jager Hoover because you, if you're being blackmailed that way, you cannot say anything. And with the Franklin scandal, I was able to talk to someone who took blackmail pictures. I mean, I, I, I spent seven years on the book and uh, I went into that pitch darkness uh, for, for seven years. And I talked to one of the blackmail photographers and he was an unctuous person who um, didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't the paragon of ethics, let me put it that way. And, uh, but he, I said, you know, how does this work? And he said, it's like you're on a yacht and you're ha and it's a beautiful day and you can have anything you want on this yacht, anything, um, whatever kind of pleasure you want. But if you decide to get off the yacht, then the people on the yacht are going to make sure that you drown. So our politicians, many of our politicians are on the yacht. And I, and I think that's also true with the, the UK too. Um, and, and other places, our politicians are on the yacht and they're not going to voluntarily get off that yacht and, and drown. So that's how the networks like the Franklin scandal and also Jeffrey Epstein are, are covered up because no one's going to come forward. Now, with the Franklin scandal, there was uh, tremendous pressure for the kids to recant. And there were two kids that didn't recant. One was Paul Benassi and one was Alicia Owen. And, um, excuse me. Like I said earlier, the, the, the kids end up doing sentences. Well, it's uh, with uh, Paul Benassi, he uh, refused to recant accounts of abuse to the state grand jury. And he was looking at 60 years in prison, but he still refused to recant. And then there was Alicia Owen, who uh, got eight counts of perjury. So she was looking at 160 years in the state grand jury, and then the federal grand jury indicted her on uh, eight counts of perjury. So she was looking at uh, 300 years in prison, but she refused to recant. And in the Franklin scandal, I give a blow by blow of what happened in that uh, in, in Alicia's trial. And it was the state did everything they possibly could to make sure that Alicia lost that trial. And Alicia was ultimately sentenced. Now, here's a kid that was indicted when she was 21 years old. Um, and she had been she'd just been. Uh, she'd been raped a number of times by various perpetrators and she sent, and she still refuses to recant. She's one of my heroes. I mean, the Alicia story really has to come out at some point because she's, she's a true hero. And with her, she was sentenced to, uh, between nine and 15 years, as I said, but she spent two years in solitary confinement. Mm. Um, the state of Nebraska and also the feds really wanted to destroy her and, it's, it's been demonstrated time and time again. If you put someone in uh, solitary, they will eventually lose their mind. So she was in solitary for two years and, and somehow um, she didn't lose her mind. She made it. And, and now she's happily married and uh, gainfully employed and she's become a friend of mine. So that's, uh, there, there are, extraordinary people that can go through all kinds of abuse and come out the other end um, somewhat sane or compass mentis, but 
most of these victims ultimately uh, just become drug addicts and um, and and have other types of problems too. Um, what I, what I've noticed about victims of trafficking networks is if they have a predisposition towards drugs, that's it. I mean, it's game over for them. But if they don't have a predisposition towards drugs and alcohol, they, they have a shot at trying to forge uh, you know, a reasonable life. Um, and uh, Paul Benassi, who also refused to recant, um, has forged a life for himself. Now, the kids that were molested and testified against him because of the FBI pressure, um, they're completely dysfunctional. And one, the, the main one that I know of is, is dead. Uh, a lot of people in the Franklin scandal ended up uh, dying under mysterious circumstances. Well, that led to my next question then. How many people do you estimate died under mysterious circumstances? The story that struck me the most was the death of the investigator and his son. So could you let us, um, could you tell us how many people you think and could you detail the story of the investigator? Sure, I cannot really tell you how many people died uh, with Franklin. There were people that I heard about who died were murdered, but I couldn't find documentation linking them to the uh, trafficking network. Although I was able to link some to the trafficking network, I wasn't able to link all the ones that I heard about to the trafficking network, which is, uh, which, I mean, I, I, I gave it my best shot. But the, the Franklin Committee, the, the Nebraska Senate formed the Franklin Committee, um, which was to look into this child, the child trafficking, also Larry King's pilfering of $40 million. And the senators hired an amazing investigator. His name was Gary Caridori. And he was uncovering victims. He was uncovering leads. He, he was uncovering documentation. He was a dynamo. He was an, an amazing investigator. And ultimately, the feds started to set him up. I mean, his phones were tapped and, um, and most of the people that were involved with the Franklin committee, I mean, they're, I mean, really pushing to expose this. I mean, their phones were tapped too. Um, so Gary Caridori realized that the FBI was coming after him for fraud or libel or whatever, saying that he made up the stories and he knew that he had to get irrefutable smoking gun evidence um, to make sure that he didn't get indicted. So it's it's kind of, it's very strange with Gary Caridori because the hunter became the prey. And um, he, and I found five sources, that, and I, they're in my book, I named them, um, who said that Gary Caridori uh, was in Chicago, flew to Chicago, and he was given a cache of blackmail pictures by one of the blackmail photographers whose name was Rusty Nelson. And he was flying back to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska and his plane disintegrated over Lee County, Illinois, and he was killed and his kid was killed. And there's major anomalies uh, involved in that. So um, it's, uh, it's, I mean, that, the plane blew up. It was strewn over a tremendous, uh, the parts of the plane were strewn over a tremendous distance. And um, we never got a real toxicology report. The lab that was supposed to provide a toxicology report 
um, was supposedly out of commission. So the uh, the remains of Gary Caridori or tissue of Gary Caridori and his son. Oh yeah, his, his son was eight years old too, and 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 he he killed was killed. So they sent these samples to Washington D.C. So and and it came back. There's there were no irre, no uh, irregularities. So with Gary Caridori, I mean his death uh, is according to state and federal law enforcement is a plane mishap that he supposedly lost, and, and he was an expert pilot. He supposedly lost track of his plane and it started to dive and then it just broke up under mysterious circumstances. And his Cessna plane, when I've, I talked to a number of people and asked them about set these Cessna planes that, that Gary Caridori had, and they all said to the person that Cessna planes do not break up in midair. So. And Alicia Owen's brother was also died under very mysterious circumstances. Alicia Owen was the, the woman that was sentenced between nine and 15 years. And then the, the primary witness against Alicia Owen, his name was Troy Bonner. His brother died of mysterious circumstances, uh, supposedly playing Russian roulette. And, um, and then Troy ultimately died of very strange circumstances too. So, the deaths um, and the Franklin scan just keep mounting up. Now, uh, Craig Spence, who was the blackmail master in Washington, D.C., he committed suicide. Um, he went to the Ritz-Carlton in Boston and with, in a tuxedo and um, wrote an, a note, a couple of notes, and um, took an overdose on antidepressants. And it's rumored on the internet that he was suicided, but I adamantly disagree with that. Um, Craig Spence had been reduced. Craig Spence was, was given the keys to the kingdom. He, he was financed. Uh, he had a, a huge mansion, which uh, is very, I, I couldn't even begin to get into how it, he got that. And uh, he just lived uh, a high life. He, he was uh, anything that he wanted. He would spend uh, $20,000 in a month on gay escorts. Um, he was gay. So, and then he was also a pedophile too. So um, I'm not saying that the two are, are, are conjoined, but you know, he did, he was gay, but and he was also a pedophile. But um, so he died in this uh, Ritz Carlton hotel room um, with uh, a tuxedo and an overdose of, I think it was nortriptyline, the antidepressant nortriptyline. But here's the thing with Craig Spence. He was used to having money and he was used to having everything given to him. And ultimately he became the subject of, a, of, of, of news, like Epstein became the subject of, uh, of news. And, um, and, and in the Franklin case, the uh, Washington Times ran a number of articles about Craig Spence's blackmail operation and that he was an intelligence asset. And, and then as, as quickly as the Washington Times manufactured articles, the Washington Post was trying to debunk them, which um, was, uh, in, in this case, you know, it's, it's amazing how the media got in line to completely cover it up. Now, with uh, Je Jeffrey Epstein, he was also getting a lot of press. 
after that uh, Miami, those Miami articles came out. So, and a guy like Jeffrey Epstein or a guy like Craig Spence, they cannot get a lot of press because of what they do, because they're trafficking children and blackmailing people. So as soon as that uh, media attention achieves a critical mass, uh, they've got to go. Um, Craig Spence killed himself. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein apparently killed himself. I mean, that is debated whether or not Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, but it's a, it's a meme that I don't want to buy into because people that have bought into that particular meme um, don't look at why why is it no one indicting these perpetrators and these perpetrators in the Epstein network. So a lot of people have been focused on his death where really in actuality, the focus needs to be on what who these perpetrators and procurers are. So um, I'm not going to speculate about his death. I mean, there were certainly many, many anomalies that night, but I'm more concerned about indicting these procurers and these perps. So you mentioned that Spence was working for an intelligence agency. Is that how King and Spence come together? Is it, for example, the CIA orchestrate this whole thing and put those guys into play together? You know, it's like with Epstein and also like with Spence and King. We do not know how they were, were recruited um, in the CIA, by the CIA or some dark intelligence agency within the CIA. My guess is with Spence, he was an ABC correspondent in Vietnam. And this is just my guess. Um, I think that he got busted um, with little boys and the CIA made a deal with him. You know, if you do this for us, you can have as many little boys you want and you can live, uh, live the high life. And Spence was a sociopath, much like Epstein, much like King. And he jumped at it. And um, because both he and King, King came from a uh, working class background and he was not a college graduate, but he had um, top security clearance in Thailand um, during, the, uh, during the Vietnam War. So um, maybe King was conscripted that way. I do not know. And I do not know how Epstein was conscripted, although it might have something to do with Dalton, um, but I'm not 100% sure about that. So you said the feds came down hard on the victims and there was all the manipulation of the jury and some were sentenced to prison. Who was in charge of the federal government at that point in time? Who was the president? It was uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. And here's what's, here's why I, why this petition is so important. The cover up in, in the Bush administration started with uh, Richard Thornburg. Um, he was Bush one's attorney general, but the, the person that really, really uh, put the finishing touches on the cover up was William Barr, our present attorney general. So William Barr covered up the network that I wrote about, and now he's covering up the network of the Epstein network. So he's all, I mean, he's already covered up one pedophile network, which is just, uh, you know, a horrific crime. So I'm not expecting him to be uh, uh, a knight in shining armor in this case. I mean, he is, he's working assiduously to cover up 
uh, Jeffrey Epstein's trafficking network. Did you interview the mother of Johnny Gosh? Is that how it's pronounced? And do you believe that Johnny Gosh was a victim of the Franklin network? Um, I think that there's a probability probability that uh, Johnny Gosh was certainly a victim of the Franklin Network. Um, a lot of that I'm somewhat agnostic about um, because, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of evidence that Johnny Gosh was a newspaper boy in Des Moines, Iowa. They got abducted. And there's evidence um, that he w didn't die. There's a documentary about it uh, called Who Took Johnny, which I suggest that you're um, listeners might want to check out because I'm, I'm interviewed and a number of people that are familiar with the case are interviewed. But I, I, I kind of came to a fork in the road in my investigation of, of this network and Johnny Gosh. I mean, I was investigating both parallel, um, but I decided to go with the Franklin Network instead of investigating Johnny Gosh, because I'm just one guy. I'm just one investigator. I don't have a newspaper or other resources behind me. I mean, I, I worked on this story for seven years and, uh, and no one gave me a penny. Um, so, but when I scored, after, after I'd been um, investigating the Franklin Network, uh, I scored those sealed grand jury documents and testimony. Um, which made the difference in, in the book. I mean, I, could, I don't think I could have written a book or as thoroughly a book if I didn't get those documents. So once I got those documents, I just focused on the Franklin Pedophile Network. I kind of um, didn't focus on, I no longer focused on uh, Johnny Gosh and his fate. But I strongly suggest that your uh, listeners um, check out Who Took Johnny. I just got one question then on Johnny before I go back to Franklin. Um, years later, somebody who was there, allegedly at the time Johnny was abducted, came forward and spoke to Johnny's mum. Did you interview that person? Um, that was Paul Benassi. Yes, I interviewed him. And and who took Johnny? I was an associate producer of that, and my um, I've got a lot of footage of the individual talking about the abduction of Johnny Gosh. Did you find him credible? I did. He has, uh, I mean, his story is very horrific, like a lot of the Franklin victims. He started getting molested when he was like six years old. And he was like a go-to guy for this network. He was, the stuff that this kid went through is, I. I, don't, I couldn't even begin to describe it, the, the horrors that this kid went through. And he came out of it with a multiple personality disorder. Um, I've got his psychiatric reports, uh, definitely multiple personality disorder. But I have a tendency to believe him because I spent a lot of time with him. And I never busted him lying to me over, over the course of time that I spent with him. So... Um, definitely have a tendency to uh, believe him. And a lot of the victims in the Franklin Network, I spent a lot of time with a number of them. I mean, some of them were drug addicts and I really couldn't keep in touch with them, but I spent a lot of time with a number of them looking for um, changing their stories or looking for some kind of uh, deception. But none of them I felt lied to me. 
I mean, some people that were running the network certainly lied to me um, or were part of the network. But I don't, those victims, at least the ones that I found, um, I think they're all pretty much telling the truth. So when people Google the Franklin scandal, there's a headline that comes up a lot, and that is that male prostitutes were given midnight tours of the White House. Could you explain what that is about, please? Well, um, as I said uh, earlier, Craig Spence, who was part of the pedophile network and part of the blackmail operation, he and he spent $20,000 a month. And this is... Uh, in the mid eighties, um, he spent $20,000 a month on, on male escorts. And I, I know on at least two occasions that he took male escorts on midnight tours of the white house. He had those, I mean, when you talk about, uh, as I said earlier, he had connections that went to Mount Olympus. If you're able to take adult uh, or, uh, prostitutes, male prostitutes on a midnight tour of the white house, I mean, you have a lot of juice. And uh, Craig Spence had a lot of juice, especially within the Secret Service. Um, they were kind of like his Praetorian Guard. Um, he always, he had Secret Servicemen uh, moonlight for him quite a bit. And I think that that was because he had so many people blackmailed. And I believe that he blackmailed for this dark intelligence entity um, that he worked for. But I also believe that he blackmailed for his personal gain. Um, and I think that that might be why that it, there were so many Secret Service men around Craig Spence. But, it, but here we are. Um, here's the Secret Service, the Praetorian Guard of the United States of America. And they're protecting an infamous pedophile. I mean, it's, it, it's mind boggling. I mean, today I tweeted something um, and I said that the truth is, uh, or fiction is much can be much, or uh, truth can be much stranger than fiction. And when you look at the Franklin Network, or you look at the Epstein Network, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's, it's, but it's, but it's a reality. It's, um, it, and it goes against the grain of most Americans. It's so, and I think that Americans are extremely naive about blackmail and their government. Um, there's traces, uh, I mean, if, if they have, you know, a reasonable uh, media savvy, I mean, they know that Jagger Hoover was a blackmail artist. He, he was a blackmail artist for, for many, many years. And as I talked about, no one ever outed him. But blackmail is a time-honored tradition in the United States of America. And I'll give you a couple examples. Alexander Hamilton um, was having an affair with a 23-year-old who was married. And her husband was shaking Alexander Hamilton down. And this muckraking journalist got, uh, found out about this story. And he outed Alexander Hamilton on what he was doing. And, and Alexander Hamilton and um, Jefferson had a lot of antipathy towards each other. They were not friendly at all. So the, the, after the muckraker outed Hamilton's affair, um, he went to Jefferson. Jefferson became president, and he went to Jefferson. You know, I, I did you a solid by outing Hamilton. You know, you 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 owe me some kind of position in your administration. 
and Jefferson refused to give him a, uh, give him a position in his administration. And that muckraker ultimately outed Jef Jefferson for having sex with his slaves, or slave Sally Hemings, which has been proven by, by DNA. So um, when um, Americans just are so totally naive about political blackmail, it's, it's, it's kind of mind boggling to me. So the key players in these scandals, if they get in court and they start to sing, government agencies have to take action. And that is, of course, a motivation behind Epstein getting suicided. Now, in the Franklin scandal, you said that Spence died, so he couldn't sing. What about Larry King? What did they do with him to avoid him? ending up in the court system. Okay, so King was uh, the logistics man for this network. And he was the guy that flew kids from coast to coast. And I've got a number of his uh, flight logs. Um, and he ultimately was indicted for financial fraud because he used the Franklin uh, Credit Union like it was his ATM. And he built it for about 40 million, 39, $40 million. So when the, the allegations of child abuse were heating up, Spence or uh, King suddenly had like psychiatric problems. Mm -hmm. And then he was sent to a psychiatric, a federal psychiatric institution in uh, Missouri. And then after the grand jury, the state and federal grand jury had quashed all the allegations, well, hadn't quashed them, but said that they didn't exist. Um, Larry King was suddenly cogent and and he was taken back to Nebraska. I mean, it's, um, and he was uh, ultimately sentenced, he, he did like 10 years for financial fraud, not, no charges of uh, pedophilia or, or child trafficking. And he, but he kept his mouth shut. And, um, and I'm thinking that might be the difference between uh, Epstein and King. Um, King kept his mouth shut. And he was basically rewarded with a, a no-show job at a BMW, BMW dealership in uh, Virginia. And he's still around now, is he? Larry uh, sticks his malignant head up occasionally. And when he does, I'm always there to greet him. Um, <laughs> he, he hooked up with uh, uh, Granville Academy. And I don't know what Granville, uh, Granville Academy isn't an academy. It takes kids on field trips. And I, I thought this was a, this is a very bad thing to have Larry King hooked up with uh, Granville Academy. And I made calls to Granville Academy. And then I had other friends of mine make calls to Granville Academy. And, and Larry King was expunged from Granville Academy. And then he showed up on the Washington Redskins event committee. And um, I, did the same thing there. So whenever Larry Lawrence E. King, you know, lifts his malignant head up, I'm, I'm, I'm there. And uh, so he's keeping quiet right now. What do you think happened to the 40 million that he took? Um, I think he used a lot of that money. I mean, he lived extravagantly. It was it was it was like a nouveau riche a garish uh, extravagance, and um, so I think a lot of that money um, he consumed. 
um, just by his uh, conspicuous consumption. Um, some of it now, and I don't want to go on record for this, but I've heard it from a couple of sources, um, but I never found any solid documentation on it. Some of it went to the Contras, uh, who the United States was funding at that time. They were overthrowing a, uh, the, a, a communist government in uh, Nicaragua. So, and I, and there was, I think, tremendous pressure on King to deliver on money um, to help the Contras. Um, that's what I've heard. I didn't write it in the book um, because I couldn't prove it. When you read the book, there's things that you know, and then there's things that you can prove. And I've only gone with things that I can prove. Well, a lot of big time criminals believe that if they contributed to the Contras, it would get them a pass from the CIA would back them up. Carlos Leda, one of the principals in the Medellin cartel, testified as a witness for the US government that the Medellin cartel had contributed 10 million to the Contras in the belief that the CIA would protect their interests if it came down to it. Well, later is a, a very interesting example. <laughs> I mean, we don't even know where he is right now. I mean, he was supposedly given a lifetime, but um, he's very good at uh, logistics when it comes to trapping cocaine. I'm not saying that he's doing that now, but we don't even know where he's at. I mean, um, maybe maybe he's in the witness protection program living in Wisconsin. I, I, I mean, I've looked into later, but it's, it's hard to know where he's at. I mean, do you have any ideas? Um, I believe he's in the federal prison system, but I don't know which one. And the, the, one of, I think one of the Ochoa brothers is in there as well. Okay. Yeah. Because I haven't been able to find him there, so I was wondering where he ended up. So Nick sent me an extremely long article that he wrote that he submitted to all of the major press in America, and they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to publish it. This information is so dynamite. And I'd like to go over that slowly with you. It starts sure. out talking about the sweetheart deal. And could you explain to people who Anne Maria Villafana is and what she did for Epstein? Okay, I'll, I'll get into that. With um, And that's uh, definitely part of my article. I take the Epstein cover up and I show how it started initially, and then I show how it's uh, being covered up today. Um, in 2005, I believe, uh, a 14-year-old girl came to the Palm Beach Police Department and with her mother, um, and she said that she had been molested by Jeffrey Epstein. Now, the Palm Beach Police Department just knew Jeffrey Epstein as a rich uh, philanthropic type. And... Um, and, and they were initially skeptical, but the girl provided like a description of his house and even uh, provided a description of his anatomy. So um, the Palm Beach Police Department pursued it. They were they pursued it tenaciously, but gingerly. Um, they they kind of kept it quiet. Um, and ultimately, they found five victims of Epstein. They knew of more. Um, they found five victims of Epstein, and there were a number of people that corroborated the five victims. And they wanted to get uh, Jeffrey Epstein on five counts of various types of, of child abuse. And, um, and all of a sudden, that case got taken away from them 
and it was given to a, a grand jury prosecutor, um, which is almost unheard of in Florida to have a grand jury if, it's a, if there's not a capital offense. So this special prosecutor, he in fact produced a ham sandwich. He said that Jeffrey Epstein never molested any kids and he indicted him on one count of adult solicitation. Now, these Palm Beach Police Department detectives and the chief, uh, Michael Ritter, they were very, uh, I mean, these guys were stand-up guys. Um, they weren't going to be bullied by the Department of Justice. They weren't going to be bullied by the FBI. They weren't going to be bullied by anybody. And they were very vociferous about how this grand jury had been cooked. So um, in comes Alan Dershowitz. Um, and he does a hatchet job on the girls, um, and Alan Dershowitz will come up later, I'm sure, in our discussion, but he does a hatchet job on the girls at Camp Forward, and, um, and ultimately, there was a, and, and this is so bizarre, ultimately, there was an agreement between Epstein and the Justice Department under Alexander Acosta, um, that Epstein, uh, would be given, he would have to serve uh, state time or county time, which is bizarre. That, and, and, and here's the thing the, about the initial cover-up. When the feds were making this deal with Jeffrey Epstein, they had a list of 32 victims. I've, I've got the list. And so the, the feds had a list of 32 victims as they were, as they were covering this up. But anyway, Anne-Marie Villafana, she was the assistant U.S. attorney that gave Epstein a sweetheart deal, 18 months in county jail, and he did 13 months. Um, and I've gotten the emails where uh, the prosecutor Villafana colludes with one of Epstein's attorneys to get him the most lenient deal they possibly can. I mean, it's, it's just mind-boggling that... A, a prosecutor would be negotiating, secretly negotiating with an attorney to to give the, a monster, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein was a monster, to give him uh, the, the the sweetheart deal that he got. And plus it was a non-prosecution agreement that said um, anybody affiliated with Jeffrey Epstein um, or his crimes was exonerated, was pardoned. Um, so that's that was the work of Amory Villafana. Now, uh, Alexander Acosta was in the Trump administration. And according to an article published by the uh, Daily Beast, he was asked, why didn't you go after Epstein harder? And Acosta replied, I was told to lay off of it because it was, Epstein was intelligence and it was above my pay grade. So that, I mean, if... Um, that is truthful, then we know that Jeffrey Epstein was in, was in intelligence. I mean, at this point, I don't doubt it, but, but I mean, there's some proof of, of that. And then the fact that he got that sweetheart deal um, after molesting, I mean, the feds had a list, like I said, of 32 uh, kids, and Epstein got it 18 months. I mean, there, so obviously, there was a very powerful entity pulling strings for Jeffrey Epstein with the uh with the department of justice and the entity still is as we saw with the recent court ruling upholding the sweetheart deal and protecting the co-conspirators 
Can you tell us what the Crime Victims' Rights Act is and how it was violated? Hold on one second. Could, yeah. Um, yep, go can, for it. Can you hear something in the background? Um, there's a little bit of a ringing on your side. Okay, let me, um, I, I'm going to fix something. You fix that and I shall just get some water. If you are watching this, in the description box below this video are links to Nick. He's mentioned Twitter. I'll get his Twitter link down there. He's got a couple of books out. He's got the Franklin Scandal. If you're not familiar with all the details of the Franklin Scandal, I urge you to read that one to start with. And I'll put the link for Amazon USA. I'll put the link for Amazon UK down there as well. I'll also put the link to his petition. And I've got a, I've got multiple playlists now. If you are in lockdown and you're looking for hours of content on the Epstein case, got well over 250 videos on my Epstein playlist. I've got a Royal Family playlist. I've also got a true crime podcast every week. Presently, we on a Monday night, we have a premiere about two hours long. I interview people who've been in prison ex-cops, ex-prison guards, and journalists on the forefront of cases like Epstein, Savile, Madeleine McCann. Nick has mentioned about um, Johnny Gosh and in my book, which is on the other side of me, American Made. I have a whole chapter on the Franklin scandal and it's told through the eyes of Johnny Gosh's mother as well. It's, it's really heartrending. And then the other book over here, oops, on this side, is the one that came out Christmas, Clinton, Bush and CIA conspiracies from the boys on the tracks of Jeffrey Epstein. Got a chapter on Epstein in there as well. And it looks like we've got Nick back at the uh, at the station. So my question was, um, what, can you explain to people what the Crime Victims' Rights Act is and how it was violated in this case. Okay, so the Crime Victims Act is basically, it says that a victim can confront her perpetrator and also a victim can, can talk to the prosecutors um, about what they're going to do with the, the perpetrator. In this case, um, the federal government violated that law. They did not notify the victims at all about the deal that they made with Jeffrey Epstein. And then to, to add insult to injury, um, they sealed it. They sealed that uh, non-prosecution agreement, um, which of course they didn't want to get in out, but ultimately um, the Palm Beach uh, Post and uh, some of the victim's attorneys we're able to get it unsealed. And that's when we found out just how malignant that deal was that Jeffrey Epstein was given by the Department of Justice. So you wrote that the New York Times named six alleged procurers, Ghislaine Maxwell, Sarah Kellen, Leslie Groff, Adriana Ross, Nadia Markinkova, and Haley Robson. Now, I did read an article that claim that some of those were also victims of Epstein who became procurers and prosecutors 
would be entering a legal quagmire because they were both victims and procurers. How would cases like that be pursued? And do you think those all six of those should be brought to justice? Or do you believe that some of them were victims as well? I think Mark and Kova and Robson were victims. Um, I, I think that those were the two ones that were victims. The, the others weren't. And if we can get justice on this, we have to demand justice on this. Um, maybe the sentences for Markanova and also Robson can be mitigated um, because they were because of how they were originally victims. But these other four are not victims. Um, they're not victims of Jeffrey Epstein in any way. So the Justice Department should lower the boom on them. In real criminal trials, how it works is you get the procurers and then they would be indicted on multiple counts of child trafficking because they were all guilty of multiple counts of child trafficking. And they would be looking at three or 400 years or however many years that the uh, Justice Department would give them. And then they would start rolling over on the perps to get a lighter sentence. I mean, if justice was truly happening in this case, that's how that case would go. And that's how the American Justice Department um, prosecuted the mafia. They indicted uh, smaller fish and they got them to roll over on bigger fish. And uh, that would be happening in the Jeffrey Epstein case if it was a legitimate investigation. So you put some choice quotes in this article about Ghislaine Maxwell. She said that she had contempt for the girls who were the victims. She referred to them as slaves. She actually told a woman, when I asked what she thought of the underage girls, she looked at me and said, they're nothing, these girls, they are trash. And then you quoted the Guardian um, documents from a lawsuit of Virginia's. A butler witnessed firsthand a 15-year-old Swedish girl crying and shaking because Max was attempting to force her to have sex with Epstein and she refused. The girl allegedly said that Maxwell tried to force her to have sex with Epstein through threats and stealing her passport. And many people are perplexed worldwide that she is still out there. Can you tell us who is Ghislaine Maxwell from your own research? What do you know about her? Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, her father had a publishing empire, and he was also a Mossad agent, and he uh, committed suicide. He's one of the suicides. And um, and Ghislaine Maxwell was left, I mean, she'd been raised with the upper crust of UK society, and she had a lot of connections to the upper crust. But her swindling father um, didn't leave her much money. So... At a certain point, and this we don't know, but it probably happened in the early 90s, maybe late 80s. At a certain point, she hooked up with Jeffrey Epstein. And that was like uh, um, putting together nitro and glycerin. And uh, Maxwell had a lot of social contacts, and Epstein had a lot of money. So if you put those together, and they are both uh, perpetrators, I mean, Maxwell, a number of the uh, people that have come forward in the civil lawsuit litigation have named Maxwell as a perpetrator. So basically you've got one perpetrator with a lot of connections and one perpetrator with a lot of money. And 
uh, you put them together and you've got something very monstrous. Do you believe that money was Epstein's or that was intelligence agency money? I've always thought that the money came from Wexner. And actually, Maria Farmer corroborated, corroborated that, that, uh, that Epstein's only client was Wexner. And it's that backstory is so bizarre because supposedly Epstein and Wexner became close friends really quickly. And then, and then Wexner elbowed everybody else out of his life. And, um, and then he gave Epstein power of attorney over his billions. I mean, it's mind boggling. And they hadn't known each other that long. And, um, Jeffrey Epstein had had billions of dollars to play with uh, because of Les Wexner giving him the keys to his kingdom. And this uh, this helps bring up an important point. Um, Les Wexner had uh, connections to the mafia. Um, I've got a, a, a Columbus Police Department report talking about there was a homicide of, a, of, a, of an attorney that worked, uh, his firm worked with Wexner and this attorney was the point man. And he was shot in the back of the head with a 22 execution style, broad daylight in um, Columbus, Ohio. And that's not something that typically happens in Columbus, Ohio, where you've got like a high flying attorney um, shot execution style in broad daylight. So that case kind of ground and, and, and nothing was really resolved, but this uh, police intelligence, this uh, woman who worked for the Columbus police, she was in, in intelligence. She wrote a document that, um, th that connected Les Wexner to uh, organized crime, primarily the, uh, the Genovese family. And it came out after that, it's, it's come out that, uh, Frank Walsh, who carted uh, like 90% of Wexner's merchandise, um, was also connected with the, uh, with the uh, John Basic crime family. And that was reported by the New York Times, or actually the, the Bergen Record. So Les Wexner has these connections to organized crime. Now, if Jeffrey Epstein is blackmailing Les Wexner, he can call up his connections to organized crime and say, you know, this guy is blackmailing me. We've got to get rid of him. But that wasn't the case. And Jeffrey Epstein, he was a lone college dropout from Coney Island. Um, but yet he blackmailed the rich and the powerful. Now, there's no way he could have blackmailed these power brokers who have access to ruffians, assassins, and in, in Wexner's case, and I'm sure other cases, even organized crime. So there was a very powerful organization behind Epstein that probably made it apparent to these blackmail marks, if you come after Jeffrey Epstein, there's going to be retribution. So that's what gave Jeffrey Epstein his longevity. There's no way that Jeffrey Epstein could have blackmailed powerful people all these years and not paid for it. So, and, and that's what people miss about the blackmail game and Jeffrey Epstein, that the only way that Jeffrey Epstein can blackmail these people is if there's an organ a powerful organization behind him that is gives them a disincentive for trying 
to do anything to Jeffrey Epstein. So within the structure of that organization, are you saying that Wexner was Epstein's boss? I don't know. Um, Maria Farmer said that he was. I don't know. I mean, the situation with Epstein is so strange when it comes to Wexner, that Wexner gave Epstein the keys to his kingdom, power of attorney. It's, it's hard to know. I mean, if, if Wexner was the head of the snake, why is he giving Epstein power of attorney? Um, if, he, if he had power over Epstein. So I think it might have gone the other way that uh, Epstein might have had power over Les Wexner um, through whatever means. I don't, I don't know what that was. I, I, I can speculate what it was, but I don't know for sure. So you wrote, in August of 2019, U.S. Attorney General William Barr pledged that Epstein's child trafficking co-conspirators should not rest easy. I know you've touched on this, but could you expand on the relationship um, with Epstein over the years and whether any of this was fulfilled? Well, as I said, William Barr our current attorney general covered up the pedophile network that I wrote about um, in the Franklin scandal. And he's presently covering up the Epstein trafficking network. And he gives quotes like they're not going to rest. Uh, you know, these perpetrators aren't going to rest. Well, Ghislaine Maxwell shows up and she doesn't have bags under her eyes. I mean, it looks like she's been resting relatively well. So it's, it's just Americans are being bamboozled right now that there isn't an actual investigation going on into Jeffrey Epstein's trafficking network. And, and that's just not so. And that's, and as I said earlier, that's one thing as a society, we cannot permit children to be abused with impunity. And this is an example of it that's done in broad daylight. And I don't know why Americans aren't screaming for justice here. I mean, I put up a petition. I'm trying to collect people to also scream for justice, but that, that is something that we need to do. Um, I was starting to gain momentum, but COVID-19 hit, and uh, that has not been good for <laughs> moving justice forward for me anyway. You mentioned the various alleged sightings of Ghislaine Maxwell, and you say that she showed up in court is that in the Virgin Islands? Did she actually show in person or was that just her lawyers representing her? I believe she showed up in the Virgin Islands, yes, to sue Epstein's estate because she is she's a, a focal point of a number of lawsuits at this point. And she has hired a phalanx of attorneys and she's suing Epstein's estate. So it will give her money. Now, her, her, it's interesting. Her phalanx of attorneys, um, they've protected her and they've also made sure that the, the there were a number of documents in Virginia Guffrey's uh, deposition or case that were sealed and an appellate court ordered that some of them be unsealed. And two approximately 2,000 documents were unsealed. Um, but that was it. The, the judge stopped because of uh, Maxwell's lawyers uh, making the point that 
the second release of documents wouldn't be legitimate or, or legal. So her lawyers have been keeping busy. I mean, she's been obviously paying very expensive lawyers to do her dirty work. And I think if the FBI wanted to find Ghislaine Maxwell, they could find her. They could find her in three hours. I mean, she's used to living the high life. Um, I'm sure she's using her credit cards. She, there, she's got. She would. She leaves such huge financial footprints that it would be impossible for the FBI not to find her. You and I could team up today and probably by the, uh, you know, within two weeks, we could probably find her. So I interviewed Ari Ben Menashe, formerly of Israeli military intelligence two weeks ago, and he believes that she is in Israel. What do you think? What do you think she is? I mean, okay, so she's according to all the news reports she's been in colorado she's been in massachusetts she's been in um she's certainly been in the virgin islands she's been in israel and now she's in france so it's really difficult to know uh exactly where she is but as i said if the fbi wanted to track her down they could do it within a day um because of her uh, financial footprints. She's too used, she, she's not used to living a clandestine life. She's used to living an ostentatious life. And people that live ostentation, ostentatious lives are very, very easy to track down. And couldn't she just be tracked down by where her passport has shown that she's gone? Well, that would, it, it would be registered as she went into whatever country. Yes, I mean, a passport, uh, even if, but even if she's traveling under different passports, I mean, she'd still be easy to find. So she's, um, and the FBI isn't looking for her. I mean, if the FBI wanted to find Elaine Maxwell, they could have found her eight months ago. Um, so, and and that's in in the article that I gave you that no one will publish. Um, I really do demonstrate that. Maxwell was a perpetrator and that she's being protected by the Department of Justice. And um, unfortunately, the mainstream media, and I don't understand this really, I mean, we have a proven case of child trafficking. And we know that Ghislaine Maxwell was integral to that child trafficking network. And we know that she was, a, a number of victims have come forward and, and, and said that she was a perp. And yet, the media, the mainstream media, has, has done nothing about this. I mean, the New York Times published an article uh, a couple of days ago about Epstein having like an office in, in Harvard. And which, I mean, why aren't they focusing on perpetrators that aren't being indicted? I mean, that's what's so bizarre to me is it's just, it's just salacious dirt. I mean, it's like, that's what these news entities are about, is salacious dirt. They're not about helping children. Um, they're, they're not about seeking justice for Epstein's victims. They're about salacious dirt. And unfortunately, our media have descended to that, to being the lapdogs of, uh, of a lot of time of the government. So it's really unfortunate because we should have a fourth estate that is going after the Justice Department for covering up 
Epstein's pedophile network. But yet our fourth estate just continues either to ignore that or to pump out salacious dirt about Epstein. Talking about salacious dirt, Maria Farmer mentioned Vicky Ward. Did you have any dealings with Vicky Ward? Um, no, uh, personally, I've, I've never dealt with Vicky Ward, but according to Maria Farmer, um, I'm kind of glad that I never dealt with uh, Vicky Ward. It sounds like she was uh, quite um, malicious to Maria Farmer. And that's the thing about these type of investigations. Um, I've always tried to be very gentle with victims. Um, and generally, victims don't lie um, about their, their sexual abuse. There was a judge, uh, Patrick Schills, um, who became, he was a U.S. District Court judge. And, but before he became a judge, he litigated 500 uh, cases for the Catholic Church, various Catholic churches or dioceses. And he said that he felt, now he litigated 500 cases, he said that he felt 10 people were lying in that. So it's very, very unusual for victims to claim sexual abuse. I mean, when they come forward and they claim sexual abuse, they're going to be pummeled by attorneys. Um, in the case of the Franklin scandal, and also what we're seeing right now in Epstein's case, the FBI is going to pummel them too. I mean, what incentive do they have for uh, not coming forward? And, and I think some of these victims have been with very powerful men um, that they're just truly frightened of. And um, they say they see them sitting at the uh, apex of power, and they're just truly frightened of, of saying anything. Because, as I said earlier, there has been 30-something uh, civil cases settled with Epstein, but, but there were scores and scores of girls that he uh, molested over the years. He, he, was, he was active for at least 30 years. So there's a lot more victims out there of Jeffrey Epstein's. Do you ever get frightened, Nick, going and interviewing all these people who are so close to these cases? Um, I had one death threat once um, when I was in, it was the first time I was in Nebraska investigating the Franklin network. And, um, and then I was followed. Um, there, <laughs> there's been some very strange things over the years. Um, but when I realized that that network existed in Nebraska, because I wasn't sure about that. Um, I, I was almost agnostic about it before I went to Nebraska. Um, but I stayed in Nebraska for two weeks looking into it. And over the course of that two weeks, um, as I said, my life was threatened. I was followed. Um, so, and then I managed to talk to people that were affiliated with that network and they were terrified. I mean, it was, they were terrified to talk about it because of the, uh, the mysterious deaths that we've we previously mentioned. And at one point I said, you know, this is like trying to interview people about the KGB and the Stalinist Russia. I mean, that's, that's how frightened they were. And, uh, but once I re realized that it was, that that network was a reality. And I mean, and, and it freaked me out because it, after my first trip to Nebraska, I realized how big it was and how malevolent it was. I was not expecting that 
at all. I, I was thinking maybe there might be some local uh, Omaha pedophiles that have molested some kids. That, that was my thinking going into this. But on my way home, I mean, I, I, I was just, I was just stunned. I was, I was like in a daze that this could happen to America, in America, and and it could be protected. I was, um, I was saying, and I made a deal with myself that this has to be exposed. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Um, I'm very fortunate in that way. Um, but I just said to myself, you know, th these guys are going to have to kill me to stop me because it's it's mandatory that I do my best to expose this network um, because children shouldn't be molested with impunity in the United States of America. And actually children shouldn't be molested with impunity anywhere on this earth. So, and I was a victim advocate for a number of years. Um, a lot of my, when I initially became a professional writer, a lot of my writing um, pertained to lower socioeconomic children in the United States. And actually I wrote a book about lower socioeconomic children in the United States. So I didn't come at this as a conspiracy theorist. Um, a lot of people come to this as a conspiracy theorist. I came to, to this as a child advocate. And that's why the, the Franklin scandal is written without conjecture. I mean, unfortunately, uh, the Franklin scandal, the story of the Franklin Network has bounced around for a number of years on the internet. And there's all kinds of silly stuff that get, like it was an Illuminati uh, uh, ring or like there were shape-shifting reptilians that were involved in the network. I mean, some of the stuff has been quite stunning. And when I've been on, radio shows or podcasts and people start to talk to me about that. I said, you know, you, you obviously didn't read my book. I mean, my book is about child trafficking that was covered up by the Department of Justice and also the FBI and also the Secret Service. So um, that has been kind of a bone of contention with some of the people that have interviewed me and I probably won't be invited back to their shows in the near future. <laughs> well, we like your common sense approach. Going back to your article that MSM would not touch, what was the role of U.S. District Court Judge Robert Sweet? Well, when the kid, when the, the attorneys uh, for the victims initially wanted to uh, unseal Virginia Guffrey's uh, documentation, Sweet, Judge Sweet, um, that was their first judge that they had to deal with. And he said, no, he would not, uh, he would not uh, release any of that documentation. And they ultimately appealed it. And in the interim, as they were appealing it, Judge Sweet died and he was, and, and uh, Judge Prescott took over the case. And the appellate court ruled that she had to surrender documentation that was germane to um, a judge and making a decision on that particular case. And so she was the one that ultimately authorized that 2000 pages be released. Um, but she would not release other documentation. And that was uh, Maxwell's attorneys. They were arguing against her releasing additional documentation. What do you think is in that additional documentation that's they couldn't release? Well, with Virginia Guffrey's deposition, um, we've got, uh, we've got 
George Mitchell, the former Democratic senator, um, actually majority leader. We've got Bill Richardson. We've got another uh, governor of uh, New Mexico. We've got some very prominent scientists. Uh, we've got some other people that have been very prominent in um, also in politics. Um, we've got Alan Dershowitz. Um, so I think the reason why those documents are being so because they would name additional people. And I was the guy, I got the black book in 2012, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's black book. And I took it to publishers in New York thinking, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you want evidence? I mean, here's evidence. And uh, no one would touch the black book, um, unfortunately. Um, but the, the guy who, it's, it's kind of an interesting story how the black book came to me. Alfredo Rodriguez was the house manager for Jeffrey Epstein. And he purloined the black book and he tried to sell it to an, an attorney that was representing victims in litigation against Epstein. And the attorney notified the FBI and the FBI busted him. And then ultimately I got the black book uh, because he was busted with it. And he circled various people in the black book and the FBI called them potential material witnesses, which are witnesses that are uh, very integral to the crime, um, whether, they're, uh, whether they had observed it or whether they had um, taken part in the crime. And, and that's where we see like things coming together because Guffrey names uh, Alan Dershowitz, Rodriguez uh, circled Alan Dershowitz's name in the black book. Guffrey names Bill Richardson and his name is circled in the black book. Um, so there's, an, so like some of these are being corroborated from different people and another girl, uh, another woman who's come out and said that she was molested by uh, Alan Dershowitz. And then Maria Farmer said that Alan Dershowitz would immediately, would go to the upstairs of Epstein's uh, mansion where the young girls were. So, there's, there's a tremendous amount of evidence about Alan Dershowitz. And actually, in 2015, I finally published a, an article about the Black Book and, and, and the logs, and it was done by Gawker. I mean, the mean kids on the block of media um, were willing to take a stand for victims that, were, that had been abused with impunity. I mean, these major publications that are immersed, that's, that are seemingly immersed in integrity, they wouldn't take a stand for these kids, but Gawker did. And uh, it's too bad Gawker got sued into oblivion because um, it could have, it, 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 was, it, was, it was serving a major function. I mean, they ran some stuff that was, you know, pretty, pretty bad, but then they ran stuff like mine that was very, very helpful um, to get that information out. So Dershowitz, an alleged perpetrator, was instrumental in the sweetheart deal, and you know he was out of all of it, um, out of all of the uh, alleged perpetrators, he was doing all of these TV interviews and you know saying I only sleep with my wife and all this stuff. How deep was his relationship with Epstein, and what? kind of shenanigans as Dershowitz pulled over the years to avoid anyone facing any consequences? Well, with Dershowitz, um, 
I, in, in the article I wrote for Gawker, Dershowitz said he always flew with his, uh, his wife everywhere. But I had flight logs that showed that Dershowitz didn't uh, fly with his wife everywhere because there were flight logs where his wife was nowhere to be seen, but there were women named Tatiana and people, you know, women like that that were named in the flight logs. And he said, when Tatiana was brought up, he said, oh, it could have been my mother. So he was he was just kind of blowing this off. But he and Jeffrey Epstein had a friendship that went back very, very far. Um, speaking of Vicki Ward, the article that she wrote about, ended up writing about Jeffrey Epstein, Dershowitz's fond, waxes philosophic and about his friendship with uh, Jeffrey Epstein and and his wife, and then he talks about his wife asking him, um, if Epstein wasn't rich, would you still be friends with him? And Dershowitz said, yes. I said something to the effect, yes, because I like his ideas so much. So Dershowitz, uh, he's come at, he's thoroughly enmeshed in the Jeffrey Epstein case. And he's one of two things. He's either a good man um, trying to save his name or he's a vile human being. Um, and I'll let your listeners decide on whether or not he's a good man trying to preserve his name or he's a vile human being. So the character that has kept the media interest in this country going in the Epstein case is Prince Andrew. I'm going to read from your article what you said about Prince Andrew. So like Dershowitz, Prince Andrew has attempted to disavow his friendship with Epstein. He declared that he and Epstein were not that close. Yet The Guardian reports that the pair attended several private dinners, parties and fundraisers together, including a birthday party the Prince threw for Maxwell at Sandringham House, the private residence of the Queen. Andrew also flew on Epstein's private plane at least four times. In 2001, Andrew and Epstein were pictured on a yacht off the coast of Thailand, surrounded by topless young women. Epstein reportedly footed the bill for the Prince's Thai retreat. In 2006, Epstein made an appearance at Windsor Castle for the 18th birthday party of Andrew's daughter, Princess Beatrice. Epstein attended the party after the Palm Beach Police Department. Epstein executed a search warrant on his Florida home and sought to charge him with four counts of unlawful sexual activity of a minor and lewd and lascivious molestation. And Virginia, in one of her legal documents, describes, an, um, I'm going to euphemize so that I don't get in trouble with YouTube, just, let's just say a party that Andrew attended in the Virgin Islands where there were teenagers present, it seemed that had been procured from East Europe and that Andrew was a full-on uh, participant in this with Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, when I asked um, Ari ben Menashe about this, you know, did he think that Andrew was a completely diabolical, psychopathic, calculating character like Epstein and Maxwell, or whether he believed that Andrew was a useful idiot? I'm going to ask you the same question. How did Andrew fit into all this? for Maxwell and Epstein? Well, as you said, Andrew has tried to disavow his relationship with Epstein, but I would bet dollars to donuts that uh, there's some pictures of 
Prince Andrew floating around that aren't very becoming. But the thing about Prince Andrew, that interview that he gave uh, the BBC, he, he's just not, he's not very bright, um, obviously. Um, I, and I don't know whether that's like a bad gene or there's too much inbreeding amongst European uh, uh, royalty, but uh, Andrew has proven to be uh, not only stupid, but an idiot too. So um, I think that his credibility is, uh, is minimal. There was, I came across a article recently that said that because of his uh, exploits, perverted exploits with Jeffrey Epstein, he's been demoted within the royal family. And I thought to myself, he shouldn't be demoted within the royal family. He should be demoted to a prison cell. And um, that's how I feel about Prince Andrew. Yeah, I interviewed the journalist Sonia Poulton. And she pointed out that the royal family didn't care that he had associated with Epstein and the nature of the behavior they engaged in. All the royal family cared about was the fact that he got caught. So, of course, the media then had to say how they were chastising him to show that the royal family did care about the victims. But it was just kind of a, a PR trick. Now, Jean-Luc Brunel, um, you know, the focus has been on Andrew in this country and Maxwell to an extent. We very rarely hear anything about Jean-Luc Brunel. What do you know about him and where do you think he is now? Well, Jean-Luc Brunel was a model agent and, and, a, and a serial predator. And Jeffrey Epstein financed his... Uh, his modeling agency, it was called MC2. And Jean-Luc Brunel has been uh, molesting girls, underage girls for a very long time. Actually, he was noted in 60 Minutes uh, as a predator. So it's kind of interesting. And plus I think uh, Jean-Luc probably has a problem with cocaine too. Um, so he's just a nasty piece of work. and. He and Jeffrey Epstein got along swimmingly. They were both ethical eunuchs. So, um, and they both liked molesting young girls. So that's a marriage made in heaven. And, and Epstein could, Jean-Luc Brunel could get kids uh, from Eastern Europe and then serve them up to Jeffrey Epstein. So um, he, Jean-Luc Brunel was an important cog in Epstein getting underage girls. Ari Ben Menashe was asked which intelligence agencies were the prime movers, and he believes Israel, but you know, the CIA, there's the symbiotic relationship right there, so you know, they were working together. Now, you've cited former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and what was his role? Well, Ehud uh, Barak is circled in the Black Book, and uh, Virginia Guffrey didn't name him, but said a very popular uh, prime minister. And with Barack, um, there's a lot of innuendo about his proclivities. Uh, but again, I was not able to nail that, even though his name was circled and Virginia Guffrey did mention a prominent prime minister. Um, there wasn't the confirmation that I was looking for, but he and, but he and Epstein were, were close even after Epstein had spent 13 months in the county jail. 
Epstein had given him money for a startup company and given him money for some other things. So it's very interesting that a former prime minister would be hanging out with a, a convicted child molester. And with the Epstein case, uh, Hood Barack, Epstein had a, uh, a, a apartment building on the Upper East Side where he kept girls, underage girls. Um, and that's where Hood Barack stayed um, quite often when he was visiting New York um, to see his old pal Jeffrey. So Hood Barack comes up in this uh, as uh, potentially very, very dirty. Are you familiar with any of the Florida cops that have been associated with this case? We've got Joseph Recurry, lead investigator who died mysteriously in his early 50s, and also John Mark Duggan, who fled to Russia with Epstein files <coughs> given to him by Recurry? Yes. Um... There was a tremendous amount of heat put on the Palm Beach Police Department. They were not backing down. In the Franklin scandal, the Senate subcommittee that was formed to go after uh, Lawrence E. King, they refused to back down. They took a lot of heat from the media, a lot of heat from the FBI, a lot of heat from the Department of Justice, but they refused to back down. Um, and with the Palm Beach Police Department, Michael, Michael Ryder, uh, he was the chief. He refused to back down, too. And actually, when that uh, bogus grand jury came back and indicted Epstein on one count of adult solicitation, I mean, he fulminated. He made a lot of noise so that they had to tack on the, the federal and state judiciary had to tack on um, one count of, uh, of child abuse. Now, I have not talked to Riccari. I did not talk to Riccari, but I did talk to Ryder. And... Um, and, and he was terrorized. I mean, he was followed. Um, it's these guys are heroes. Um, people like Michael Ryder, Rick Carey, these guys, these guys are heroes. They have taken heat um, and not backed down because of child molest and molestation is such a horrific crime. And unfortunately, Rick Carey and, um, and Ryder, they'll, they'll just be footnotes uh, in, in history. But if it wasn't for them, the Jeffrey Epstein case wouldn't have come out at all. And, uh, and they took a tremendous amount of heat, but they refused to back down. They, they, those guys are heroes in my book. So the feeling I'm getting is that the royal family and Prince Andrew just uh, hoping this is going to blow over. They, they realize it will blow over at some point and the public will lose interest and the media will lose interest. When somebody dies mysteriously, like you know JFK, um, Marilyn Mon Monroe, when there's questions, uh, you don't have an actual perpetrator of who killed Epstein. Do you think that mystery will keep interest in the case going? How do you see it playing out in the coming years? Well, I'm trying to <clears throat> create an organization to make sure that the Department of Justice goes after all those Epstein perps. And Ghislaine Maxwell is really the key to that. I mean, she knew everything that Epstein was up to because she participated in it all. Um, so it's really important to get her to sing. As I said earlier, she seems to be the Maginot line for the Department of Justice, where they're not going to indict her, but 
this is America. This is United States of America. And we have a, a proven case of child trafficking, actually multiple cases of child trafficking. She cannot, we cannot let her uh, walk off scot-free. We, we just can't let her walk off scot-free. If, if we start empowering perpetrators like Ghislaine Maxwell, then all perpetrators are empowered. Um, so that's a real uh, problem that has to be remedied is Ghislaine Maxwell has to be indicted on multiple counts of child trafficking. And so do those other procurers too. And if they're not, um, you know, shame on America because this is such an obvious case of child trafficking. And I believe that the right thing can be done here. Um, I believe that there are enough there was a uh, quote attributed to Edmund Burke uh, uh, um, about evil. And it, it said, uh, evil flourishes when good men do nothing. And I think that there's, and I hope that there's enough good men in the government and the media, although the media is not looking very good right now, and, and also in our society, that are going to act and not let evil flourish because what Jeffrey Epstein was doing to these kids was evil. I mean, I've, I've talked to, you know, I've been at this 18 years and I've talked to a lot of victims. And as I said earlier, the psychological mutilation that they have to endure because they were treated like a piece of meat uh, when they were young um, is, is horrific. And, and a lot of them will never, ever get over it. Most of them won't get over it. There's going to, there's, there's scars there that last for forever. Um, and the ones that are able to get to the other side of it, they, they have to work very, very hard to, to get to the other side. I mean, with counseling and, um, you know, 12 step groups and other things like that. Um, they, they have to make a concerted effort to, to, to really get to the other side. Um, a lot of victims, unfortunately, we talked about earlier, just pour drugs and alcohol on that pain. And, 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 and those victims will never be able to uh, work through it. I mean, it's a, one has to make a concerted effort to work. I myself have never been sexually abused, but I've talked to so many victims at this point, And uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to work through. I'm sure a lot of the good men and women watching this will want to sign your petition and we're going to get to that in a minute. I've just got a couple more questions. So sure. your hope is that Ghislaine gets indicted, but wouldn't that put her in the hot seat that Epstein was in and before she could testify in court and names would come out uh, that would cause government agencies to have to take certain action, wouldn't she have to be eliminated? Um. That's okay. So if Ghislaine Maxwell gets indicted and she hangs herself um, or dies of some peculiar, then you've got Sarah Kellen to indict. I mean, then if, if Sarah Kellen uh, hangs herself or has some nasty fall, like jumping out of a six story building or something like that, then you indict Markanova. I mean, there's a lot of people here to be indicted. And if these uh, uh, prospective witnesses are, are killed or die under mysterious circumstances, you just indict 
the next one, there's so many um, perps and procures here that you can just keep going and going and going. I mean, I mean is uh, uh, the entity that um, uh, potentially or prospectively silenced Jeffrey Epstein? Can they keep, keep it up with all these uh, procures and perps? Um, I mean, then the body count is going to be uh, quite, quite extensive um, by, the, by, the, by the time we get through all the procures and all, all the perps that have been named. Do you think that the entity prevented the need to do that by having the court ruling recently upholding the sweetheart deal that saved them all that trouble? Yeah, that was uh, truly unfortunate. And, um, but it's being appealed now. And, um, ex and victim, for your listeners, uh, a court recently uh, upheld the Victims Crimes Act, um, or actually shot it down. And this is what's strange about this. Okay, so the federal government shot down the victim, uh, saying that the uh, Epstein um, victims couldn't, uh, weren't eligible for the Crime Victim Act. Now here was their rationale for that. And, and this, I mean, this is just r ridiculous. Like whenever the Justice Department, <clears throat> whenever the Justice Department tries to do anything in this case, it's always ridiculous. Okay, so it was the federal government. And as we talked about before, uh, an assistant US prosecutor, Amory Villafana, that made the deal that put Jeffrey Epstein in a county jail for 18 months, well, actually 13 months. And now what the appellate court is saying is that because Jeffrey Epstein was in, uh, did state time or county time or whatever, that it wasn't, um, it, the federal government didn't transgress. I mean, and, and that's really ridiculous because I mean, it was the federal government who gave him the deal. I mean, the state, the state just signed off on it. So um, there again, we get into, uh, like I said, you know, something very absurd and ridiculous with the, with this cover up and hopefully it's getting appealed now. That decision is getting appealed now. And, and I just hope that the, the judiciary does the right thing with this. I mean, the judiciary, um, has done the wrong thing with this, uh, in a number of examples and it's done the right thing with this in a number of examples. So, um, so that is good men and women doing something, acting to prevent evil. We have seen that in the Jeffrey Epstein case. Now, this uh, ruling, when it gets appealed, hopefully we see that again in the Jeffrey Epstein case. How deep were the Clintons with Epstein? And do you think Epstein fell foul to the Clinton body count? Um, <clears throat> hold on a sec. Um, Jeffrey Epstein in his black book <clears throat> has 21 contact numbers for Bill Clinton. So obviously they were close. Um, victims that have come forward thus far have not named Bill Clinton as a perpetrator. Um, but if I was a victim and I uh, was molested by Bill Clinton, I mean, I would be terrified to come forward. Um, so but the bottom line is Jeffrey Epstein had 21 contact numbers for Bill Clinton. So obviously, uh, Bill and Jeffrey like to be in contact with one another. Um, 
I think with Jeffrey Epstein, if, if Jeffrey Epstein, in fact, committed suicide, there were uh, the people that would have killed him would have been protecting a lot of people, just not Bill Clinton, but a lot of people. And actually, they would be protecting a political, they're protecting a political system, a political system that is rife with blackmail. And getting back to my earlier comments on blackmail, I mean, blackmail is a time-honored tradition in the United States of America. We know about Alexander Hamilton, we know about uh, Thomas Jefferson, but we know about um, Jagger Hoover. So what we have, I believe, is a system, a political system that has a tremendous amount of blackmail. It might even be predicated on blackmail. I'm not sure. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Larry Craig was a U.S. senator, um, and he was a very conservative U.S. senator. And I wrote a book called Confessions of a D.C. Madam, and I wrote that with uh, a gentleman named Harry, Henry Vincent, who ran an adult uh, escort service, a, a gay adult es escort service in Washington, D.C. And Craig was one of his prolific clients. Um, now, Craig is a conservative, and he was in Washington, D.C., first as a state, uh, as a representative, and then as a senator for nearly 25 years. And he's, uh, so he's, he's getting prostitutes from uh, Henry Vincent, and he's, he's getting prostitutes from other uh, sectors, too, because uh, the, there was a film called Outrage that uh, detailed a lot of, that showed that Craig was getting prostitutes from other, and then he's, okay, so he, he's a U.S. senator, and he's trying to pick a guy up in a bathroom. Now, how, how hard would it be to blackmail that guy? I mean, it could almost be an after-school project for a kid with a smartphone, um, but yet he was in uh, Washington, D.C. for nearly 25 years. Now, how could a guy like that not be blackmailed? It would just, it would be impossible. And, and the real sad thing about this is, is he had one of the worst records of voting against gay rights. So, I mean, th but that hypocrisy, I mean, we're, we're used to our politicians engaging in that type of hypocrisy. But what's really interesting is Dennis, the case of Dennis Hastert. He was the, the number three man. And according, constitutionally, he is the number three man. Um, in the government. If the president goes and the vice president goes, then the Speaker of the House takes over. Now, he was the Speaker of the House for seven years, um, and he was known as a strong-arm specialist. I mean, he was, he was a conservative, and he strong-armed bills through the House of Representatives with, with various deals. <clears throat> and he had a long history of pedophilia, of molesting little boys. And actually, the FBI was aware of that, um, that he had visited a house of ill repute uh, in Chicago um, because uh, Sibel Edmonds, who was a FBI whistleblower, came forward and she did talk about Hastert. So, so here's a guy with a, a child molester dating back like almost 30, 40 years. He's, he's been molesting kids. And then... He's the Speaker of the House, and the FBI almost surely knows that he is uh, molesting kids or uh, some entity. And then after he's done being Speaker of the House, then he gets busted for pedophilia that's years old, I mean, or, or paying for pedophilia. So, um, 
So that shows that those two examples should show Americans that their political system is rife with blackmail. <clears throat> Nick, from speaking to you today, I can tell your heart and soul is in this. It's your life's work. And I think that's what makes your perspective invaluable. You've really given so much information, tying it into the Franklin scandal and how these things work. I just really appreciate your time. You spent almost two hours with us today. You've had copious amounts of coffee to fuel you through. Um, and I'm sure people can feel your authenticity are watching this. It's resonating and they want to help you in your mission. So can you just tell people how they can do that, please, with your petition? Um, so I've got a petition at change.org and Sean is going to provide a link to that petition. And, you know, usually when I go on shows and we talk about government malevolence or some kind of far ranging government conspiracy, people cannot do anything about that. But here you can sign the petition. You can take a concrete step. Um, you can, you, you can take a concrete, you can be a good person and take a concrete step and actually uh, not allowing evil to flourish because what Epstein was up to was evil. And um, in, in most cases, when people come on your show, they can't take, your listeners can't take concrete steps to ameliorate whatever injustice you're talking about. But in this case, your listeners can take a concrete step and uh, hit that link that you're going to provide and, and sign the petition. That's all that we're asking. And, um, and what we're trying to do is get enough people on that petition and get enough anti-trafficking organizations together and actually mount uh, a demonstration against the Department of Justice, against William Barr, against FBI, the FBI, who have, have done nothing but, but cover this case up, unfortunately. So that link is in the description box below this video, as are links to Nick's books. We've mentioned that he written a book about the Franklin scandal. What other books have you written, Nick? Um, I wrote a book called Confessions of a DC Madam, um, where I, I wrote that with Henry Vincent, and we, he ran a gay escort service in Washington, DC, and we get into the blackmail. Uh, there was uh, at least one CIS asset that was involved in that book um, and involved in the blackmail. And uh, I wrote a book called Americans, America's Children Trying for Tragedy. Um, and then that was before I started writing about child trafficking, where I looked at the state of American children in the United States. And I looked at uh, how they're deprived of health care, which has gotten better since um, since I wrote that book. But children are still the fast growing segment of the homeless population, or I should say families with children are the fast growing, fast growing segment of the homeless population. And I also looked at education variables. And um, like if a child has, and uh, this is one of the studies I used in the book, if a child is born at a low birth weight um, and then subjected to five years of continuous poverty, they're gonna have an IQ of 90. Um, I mean, they're, they're going to be ineligible to really participate in society. So that's the thing about it. The United States puts a lot of money where its mouth is um, when it comes to children. Or I should say the United States puts a lot of, uh, a lot of verbiage um, out there when it, when it comes to children about how 
well, America and children are true, but it doesn't put its money where its mouth is. And, um, and it's really sad because a lot of, when I think about the money that our military spends and how, I mean, even if you take out a couple of stealth bombers, I mean, you, you, what, you, what you could do is you could house children. You could make sure that they were properly fed. Um, you, you could make sure that they were proper, properly educated. You would make sure that their mother had prenatal care so they wouldn't be born at low birth weights. So, and I looked at that as a wholesale destruction of children. And I look at Franklin and Epstein as a retail destruction of children. Um, because wherever there's a wholesale destruction of children, there's a retail destruction of children. So at this point in our country, unfortunately, uh, we have a wholesale destruction of children and also a retail destruction of children. Some people watching this, Nick, are gonna to wanna to follow you on socials. Are you on Facebook, Twitter, anything like that? I am on Twitter as Justice for Epstein's Victims. Um, I just, I opened that Twitter account. Well, actually, I, I had it a while back. I'd kind of let it lapse. Um, I just, it's, a, it's an account I just want to focus on uh, with Epstein, getting justice for Epstein's victims. Um, this is a really important issue. And I'm also on uh, LinkedIn um, as Nick Bryant. Um, not as uh, justice for Epstein's victims, but yes, on Twitter, and, and I primarily tweet about um, injustices that are going on quite a bit uh, in the in the Epstein case, and I'm just trying to get the word out and congeal people. People can make a difference here, um, and as I said earlier, if if our authorities are indifferent to children being molested in a proven trafficking case, which is Epstein's case, then victims, I mean, what, what shot do other victims have? And if our um, judiciary is going to let perpetrators walk, like the Epstein case, I mean, that just empowers perpetrators elsewhere. So um, this is something that as a society we have to fix. And I believe in Americans. I, I, I believe that Americans can do the right thing. Um, and I'm just hoping that they will in this case. And if people want to contact you, is your preferred method of contact through Twitter or? Um, LinkedIn would work. LinkedIn is the best method of contact. Is there anything you would like to say in conclusion then to the people watching this? That um, missed out? I've gotten pretty wired off a couple of cups of coffee. Um, that, that... <laughs> And after this interview, I'm going to take a long walk or else I won't sleep tonight. So, uh, no, I, I enjoyed being on your show. Sure. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for subscribing and leaving your comments and questions. Huge thank you to all the people who donated to the channel, PayPal, Patreon, just giving all links in the description box, as are links to my books as well, my socials, and all of the playlists, hours and hours of Epstein content. We've got almost 300 videos on the Epstein case on this channel now true crime podcast royal family playlist so if you are locked down and you're bored it's all free to watch thank you very much for tuning in and take care out there wherever you are in the world and thank you nick for your time thank you sean